0: Good evening and welcome to tonight's Innovation Dialogue at the IAF in Gummersbach, Germany. It's a great pleasure to welcome three distinguished guests and friends at the same time um, tonight to have this dialogue. Um, We have Marika Grönewald, who is a leadership developer and coach based in South Africa, and she, together with The the two other guests is facilitating the seminar at the IAF on innovation. Second guest that I have is Armin Reinhardt. He's the director of the Global Innovation Hub in Hong Kong for the Friedrich Naumann Foundation. And then we have Rainer Häufers with us, who also used to work at the FNF a long time ago and is the executive director of the CIPS in Jakarta. Great to have you all here. Thank you very much for this dialogue. I'm Katja Egger, used to work for the FNF based in Africa as the regional training manager, and I'm currently working as a consultant for one of the global, big global companies by the name of ABB. So I would like to very briefly um, find out a bit more about what is the seminar about that you three are currently facilitating together at the IEF in Gummersbach and um, Armin. Could you say a bit more about that, please?
1: Sure. The, um, the seminar we're doing right now is part of the wider um, innovation strategy that the FNF is currently implementing. So the Friedrich Naumann Foundation has now the clear vision to become the creative innovation platform for global liberalism mm-hmm. and for that we have a couple of tools that we use. So the Global Innovation Hub in Hong Kong is one of them and um, we developed a framework um, that is basically roughly uh, has three segments working on innovation with innovation and being more innovative mm-hmm. and um, so we, uh, together with the International Academy for Leadership we um, conduct seminars with the focal points in these three segments. So earlier this year, for example, there was a, a um, seminar on smart cities which covers the working on innovation aspect mostly. Then very recently, together also with uh, Marika Grunewald, we had a digital changemaker delegation in Hong Kong where we brought mm-hmm. startup entrepreneurs and innovators from all over the world together with innovative innovators from within the foundation that had the focus on working with innovation and this part, uh, this seminar this IF Innovation Lab is now um, the main main seminar with a focus on being innovative and that's why the three of us are here and in, in under this focus um, we have developed this seminar and are conducting it currently here
0: mm-hmm. And and who is the target group of this seminar? Tell us a bit more about the participants know. Maybe.
2: Well, I guess that's the partners of the Fritti Naman Foundation. We indeed also have a few staff members here, but mostly the participants come from all over the world, <coughs> coming from countries where the um, uh, Namath Foundation operates. Mm-hmm. And so their partners are, have been selected to participate in this program here. So we have people from political parties, people from NGOs, also a few working for the corporate sector, Startup also established a telecom company in one country. So from several continents.
0: So and a vast variety of backgrounds, I hear. That's from right.
2: People. That's mm-hmm. right.
0: Okay. Um, and Armin, I know that the uh, global innovation hub has been opened officially quite recently tell us a little bit more about what is the strategy behind why did the FNF decide to open an innovation hub and why in Hong Kong?
1: So I think many um, organizations and companies have a special unit or a couple of units that try to spot trends and uh, try to bridge the gap between the, the traditional structures and the traditional organization and innovation on the, from the outside. And that's very much also what our objective is with the Global Innovation Hub. Um, so spot new trends that are useful or necessary to understand for the foundation and its partners and then make them accessible in the next step and um, like basically being, being able to be used by FNF and by the partner networks. And um, we chose Hong Kong. Because um, obviously, as many people say, uh, the, that's the Asian century and Hong Kong is in this, the heart of Asia. Uh, many people come by because it's this free international metropolis, despite the pictures that um, we currently see. Uh, it's still this very free international place. And uh, where people come by, where people exchange, um, where new trends not necessarily, necessarily happen um, when it comes to certain technologies, and For some smart cities, I would say Korea is way more advanced when it comes to cryptocurrency, maybe you find more things in Singapore, etc. But uh, everybody comes by Hong Kong, and um, so for us it's a perfect place to spot these trends and engage in the dialogue.
0: Okay, so the focus area and the area of expertise in your case is innovation and technology, technological trends,
1: I think there's a strong focus on technological trends, especially because the foundation, as such, is its intersection of politics, society, and. Um we try to translate and, and bridge this gap that I mentioned earlier, and um, very often technology is is a driver, so to say. So when we talk for about artificial intelligence, for example, then it has major implications um, policy wise. And when it, when we talk about civil rights, very often from a liberal perspective, we see what face recognition technology can. How it can be used to to harm civil rights on the other side there's also like a lot of upsides um, but it's also it's it's more it's also about the use of technology to to improve systems and there um, Hong Kong is also very close to Taiwan, mm-hmm. which I would consider the most advanced place when it comes for digital democracy um, and so like how democracy and liberals can get get um, get the upper hand, so to say again, when using innovation. For, for developing ourselves, I think that's that's also something we're looking And it's not just technology, to make that clear, mm-hmm. um, because I think many, um, a, a big part of innovation, especially translating innovation in organisations, is not so much about technology, it's a lot about leadership, I think, where, where mm-hmm. Marika's part comes comes in, and also about structures and processes, where Rainer is um, having, having uh, sessions in our seminar here, that where technology can play a supporting role, but it's it's you can have all the tech that you that that is out there and the newest gadgets, and you are not one bit more innovative than than you were before, so I think to make that clear is, is also one of the main focal points. I would say in this seminar, okay. looking at my other colleagues, whether they would agree, they seem nodding. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I would like to pick on this great diversity that you have in uh, re- regarding your expertise on innovation and see what is it that you bring to the seminar. And maybe I start with you, Marike, in your work as a leadership. Developer and coach,
3: working in the field of innovation. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I work with different types of organizations. So um, I'm based in Cape Town in South Africa, and um, in South Africa, my work is focused on working with a political party, the Democratic Alliance, um, with individual clients who are interested in pursuing innovation, Mm -hmm. and also with startups. I mean, the city Cape Town has a very vibrant startup scene. And then I'm lucky enough to work around the world with many of the foundation's partner organizations. So I have a particular interest in working with what I would call unusual organizations, think tanks, NGOs, parties, um, small teams facing constraints. Mm -hmm. Um, I love creating a space where they can figure out what it means for them to innovate Mm -hmm. um, and where they can really face the challenges they face in a realistic way. Um, and move beyond just responding to the fads of the moment, but spot the trends, which is something that we've been speaking a lot about this um, at this seminar, um, in order to really innovate. Um, and then I think on an individual or a leadership level, and this obviously also translates into um, team interaction, Innovation, as Armin has also alluded to, falls flat if people are not innovative in themselves. Mm -hmm. If they don't embody in themselves the behavior of innovators, Um, innovation then becomes, in a way, a copying exercise Mm -hmm. of interesting gadgets um, or tech tools, which doesn't necessarily lead to sustainable change or support your strategic goals. Um, So I'm really interested in supporting people to observe the world differently, Mm -hmm. to see gaps, challenges, opportunities, um, which they may not see at the outset, but to almost broaden their scope of the world. Mm -hmm. um, And to help them build, I would say, conversational or linguistic skills Mm -hmm. and emotional skills to face those challenges. And for me, that that is what enables people to be innovative in themselves, even when they're facing massive resource constraints. Mm-hmm. And looking at your very diverse group of
0: clients that you have, you work in the public sector in the private sector, startups, very young organization, grown organizations like the Democratic Alliance being the official opposition party in South Africa. What are some of your key messages, if you had to describe the perfect innovative leader, where would you like your leaders to go and what makes up this innovative leader?
3: Well, I mean, I can't give all my secrets away, tell because I'm busy working on um, a compendium or the you know, the <laughs> final book <laughs> teaching people that exact um, solution of what is the innovative leader.
0: We want the cookbook
3: right um, now. I think, I mean, as you were posing the question, my immediate gut response was that leaders who enable others to try and who themselves are seen trying and who, while they are not weak, embrace a willingness to fail. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I, I even hesitate to use this word failure. I think maybe uh, to be a learner mm-hmm. is a better word to use. So, an ability to say, I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I'm also busy learning, I may have it wrong, I'm open to new suggestions, and if we don't get it right, I'll have the backbone to stand by the fact that I created this environment in which people can try. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that is the the sign of a leader that enables not only innovation in themselves, but for the people around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are obvious other things like uh, surrounding yourself with people who are experts, who are also innovators, who are interested in things, people who read, people who have vast networks. Um, yeah, Having the ability to have the right type of conversations with your team and people outside the organization, <laughs> looking externally. And not becoming so inward looking that you try and only generate solutions in yourselves without Mm -hmm. considering what happens externally Mm -hmm. in the world. So having a view of the world. I think those are all things um, that makes for a great innovative leader. But for me, when we speak of innovation, the core one is being willing to enter the arena. Okay.
0: Um, and I heard a bit of um, we were just talking about it during the seminar today too. Um, there is this one terminology that is being used by the IMD and, and um, Cisco of a hyper alert leader, which is I what I hear from you to be aware about the trend, look around you, make use of the diversity that you have, and maximise on that too. Absolutely, yeah. um, Rainer, with you. I know that um, you. Your think tank has its fifth birthday, I believe. The fourth birthday, sorry. <laughs> but congratulate you an additional Thank you. year. <laughs> and very well done. And some following your, your um, newsletters and following you on social media, it's quite impressive what you've done from a structural, procedural point of view with your um, think tank that Thank you. I believe specializes also in uh, developing and supporting the development of policies yeah. and um, i'd like to find out a bit more tell us about your learnings that you went through growing an organization from zero to four years and you already have implemented new ways of working like being more agile
2: thank you yeah um, yeah fourth anniversary so feels a bit like we've been in the business a long time, but when you look at it, it's only four years. Let me echo first what uh, Marike was just saying, because I think that's really crucial in my work, but also in our seminar that we're doing here, that um, you need to actually look beyond the facade. Everybody is so easy to say, I am innovative, at mm-hmm. least I'm willing to be innovative. But then what does it actually mean? Um, what is it? mean to make somebody innovative to allow somebody to be innovative you were marika was just saying you need to let people try Mm -hmm. and most more importantly maybe you need to let people fail Mm -hmm. and even that we had in a seminar um where i discussed it with a few participants and they were saying well failure is not an option we have targets we need to fulfill these Mm -hmm. targets failure is not an option but then obviously there are degrees of failure right you can Avoid failing as an organization, but you need to allow small failures that are not killing the organization. And that's, now I'm coming back to your question, that's why you need to watch yourself every day. Um, Are we developing in the right direction? Mm -hmm. Is this working? Mm -hmm. I started with a certain management model that I used to have and I thought it would work. But I came to the point where I realized this is not really taking us forward. Um, so, you need to take time, adjust. Mm-hmm. You just called it a super alert or hyper alert mm-hmm. leader. I don't know whether I'm that, but I'm definitely somebody who would always analyze and see is this taking us where we should be? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and so we lately have introduced a few new measures because I felt it didn't go in the right direction.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Can you say a bit more about what the measures were that you were taking?
2: Uh, Sure. Um, We had uh, realized that the departments were not communicating well enough. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I felt we need to have more communication in the team. So we gave up on our structure of everybody having their own desk. So we introduced open plan or hot desking. So basically you choose the seat uh, that you need for the day maybe today I need to work with Marike I sit next to her for at least half of the day or something tomorrow I would sit next to Armin because that makes more sense so people move around and it does work um, we have the finance department they are not moving because they need to be surrounded by their folders and stuff and so on but even they enjoy it because they have neighbors different neighbors that are sitting at the neighboring desks every day and they enjoy the they can communicate with more people than just the finance people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was an important one for communication. Um, we have introduced several new concepts of more events, more outreach, going out, reaching new audiences. <clears throat> That's also a new one for us, more publicity. We had been more as a think tank, more doing, focusing on research. Now we are more out in the, sp- in the open. But I would say, especially for this seminar here, most importantly that we have introduced a a new concept of Agile Teams. Um, We have not restructured in the sense that all our operations are not done in Agile Teams, but we have created Agile Teams in addition to the general job description of everybody. So the researcher is still a researcher and the communications person still does communications. But on top of this, we have five Agile Teams now to reach strategic goals that we have set for the organization that we want to reach in a year or two.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, there's this terminology that comes to my mind moving away from telling and controlling towards targeting and tracking um, which is key in an innovative environment and I also heard another thing that I believe is absolutely key is this retrospections that you do regularly look at how did we do it, what worked, what didn't work, what do we have to do differently in order to become that learning organization that you need to be um, constantly aware, hyper-aware, and in order to be able to explore the trends and how they are relevant. How has it influenced the quality of your work being in policy work? How more innovative are the results being the policies that you actually produce.
2: On the policies that we suggest, we haven't had an impact yet, mm-hmm. because we have also only started introducing this maybe three months ago, and I don't know. It might have an impact in the future. It's not yet foreseeable that that is going to happen, but. Uh, what it definitely has done is it has, number one, increased the communication a lot because these groups are now not just within the department, it's cross, cross-functional. cross So that's helping. And on top of this, it has the most visible effect is that the younger team members, which are also usually in more junior positions, feel much more comfortable to actually voice their opinions, to actually uh, take responsibility, mm-hmm. go out, things for the organization than they did before because now they feel they have these tasks to do this
0: yeah. thanks and Armin having listened to what Reiner says how much of this do you do in your organization in Hong Kong like <laughs> what is your way of working is it also an innovative way and in approach of working and the way you're structured how does that go
1: yeah so that's that's actually something that we try um, at least I think we're um, F and F is a publicly funded organization that comes with a lot of guidelines and um, certain structures that are, are given, and so we have to operate within this framework. And very often, I think it it, it works also as an excuse for ourselves um, to not have to change anything. So, in Hong Kong, building up a new office and a new team, we were in the lucky position to start from scratch mm-hmm. um, without any old like traditions. Um, like and an
0: FNF startup, so to say. Yeah, yeah I think
1: mm-hmm. that's what we tried. Um, and we, we took what but we didn't sc- start from scratch totally because there are many, many innovative teams around in, in FNF mm-hmm. that have elements that work very well. And we tried to go around and look what's working. So um, uh, there's one office in, in Beirut that is working successfully with Trello, uh, with project management, mm-hmm. um, which is quite unique in the foundation at this point still um, and so we, we adapted their model and tried to modify it a bit better um, we also try to be very transparent so we put um, everything in the, in the intranet and mostly in, in the open space so people can see what activities we do, how we work, how we structure also what we change and um, that has I think we have um, contributed to a culture where other offices do the same um, including our German offices, so um, that um, I think what what is triggered or what I, I hope also to grow in F and F with other people is then um, a culture of mutual learning and uh, sharing of information how how we do things that um, at the same time enables cooperation or makes it just easier because you know suddenly what the other people are doing around the world, but also what models work very well and so this is and and then we try to adapt and uh, be a bit of a showcase. Though um, so I have to say that. Uh, it, it's not always easy and i i have to say also from a management perspective i find myself especially when it's times are very stressful and where i feel like oh maybe i should do it like we always did and um then there's a bit of negotiation going on in, in myself and i would say also with the team also from from their traditions and in, in how to how we can make it new and i think this um the communication is really the key, I think, in this, in, in getting feedback from mm-hmm. the team, mm-hmm. um, but also getting feedback from the from our stakeholders, so mm-hmm. to say, other FNF offices because we're the hub, we're connected. Um and um, trying to to build uh, Actually I would say even that it maybe it started with Rainer, because Rainer was my first coach on management project management and leadership in FNF when I just started. And um there there's a couple of things when it comes to um, especially enabling team members mm-hmm. um, to become their own leaders and um, i think one thing that uh, stuck with me that Rainer uh, told me in that management seminar is that um that that my task is to build a team that can work without me so that I do, i'm not necessary anymore so mm-hmm. like building something like that and like, um, a, self-organized like a self-organized team, team. yeah team. Mm-hmm. exactly and i think i'm uh, i've been trying like sometimes successful sometimes less successful to to do this um but i think that's that's something where i started building or taking things from mm-hmm. and um i think yeah so like putting it together like that and um i would say that um since i've been with for about six years i saw a lot of change um happening and um i think Partly driven top down because there's support in the leadership for these. We have mentioned the, the vision. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a task to become more innovative, um, and um, on from the bottom, of, from in the, in the units on the ground that want to change things, that want to adapt to the changing conditions, and they have the ideas how to do so. And um, yeah, I think so. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's that's what we what we try to mirror there.
0: Okay. So you're saying that you're, one of your goals would really be also to have an impact on the rest of the FNF um, with regards to innovation. And the FNF, I think from my own perspective, it, it, it's one of the key things that they do really well is the communication, communicating what they do around the world, um, external uh, communication particularly. Has How did you... How do you internally communicate maybe give us a few examples what are there things that you do differently so that you are more visible within the scene or new tools or approaches in communication
1: talking about internal communication yes
0: within the fnf so that you're being seen um, that you share your success stories Mm -hmm. your failures to
1: Yeah, that's, uh, I think we we try a couple of different things. Um, uh, One thing that um, I try to take up in in the innovation hub is actually naming and faming. Okay. So that we have, um, that we show the actually innovative projects Mm -hmm. that are out there um, that sometimes we ourselves don't know about. Um, So um, I kind of rather coincidentally uh, learned about um, our startup work in Zimbabwe, Mm -hmm. um, which I think if... You know a bit about Zimbabwe, it's amazing that's, that's not Israel, it's not Silicon Valley and, and there are startups changing the society with the support of the local FNF office and showing these approaches and um, giving them the support also internally uh, by showcasing the great work that they're doing. Um, that, is, that is one way on how we try to communicate success stories and how to communicate how, how innovation can be. Um, I think this, what I mentioned, is very open mm-hmm. culture. I think we um, we're working now with a confluence-based intranet, mm-hmm. and um, I think that was a huge, I would say, there's technology really helped, yeah. going beyond email. Um, and um, I think um, at the beginning, it was very difficult for many officers who, like we worked email-based since, I don't know, like probably the last 30 years, and people, many people felt it's, it's just the way that we do things. Um, and why should I use internet? and I think that's a, that's a valid question in light of a new technology, does it add value or not, mm-hmm. if it doesn't add value if it just steals my time then I should not use it mm-hmm. and many colleagues felt like that and I think um, it's now starting to change because we show that it's a, as a communication tool where people can link up where we're trying to build a innovation community with FNF where people can crowdsource their questions mm-hmm. so if you have a question, if you need um, if you're if it's about like a new topic that you need to work on, or if it's about a new methodology, then you just put it out there and tag some people and use the wisdom of the crowd within FNF and you get results much, much faster than you would if you go up the chain. So these kind of tools, um, but um, yeah, I think uh, and then these, the, like, the last point in internal communication and then I'll stop, but I think this is really the crucial part also, um, is traditional tools like the IAF, like the International Academy for Leadership, these seminars now are so important to actually still meet each other, a talk, and get to know what the other person is doing. That and you can't do that in a Zoom or in a Skype call in thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, that you really need to see each other and learn together. I think that's uh, that's a, a crucial tool. Okay,
0: and you've mentioned um, that your. Oh, goal would be that you've learned from Reiner to in the end have a team that is capable of self-organizing so that in the end actually no more manager is needed. Marika, I'd be really interested to hear from you. you, What do you do in coaching and leadership development to get the innovative leaders um, to the point where they are actually capable of getting their team ready for innovation? And being out there producing close and maybe even collaborating or co-creating with the client
3: a nice and easy question towards the end of this podcast thanks Katja um I think I would say that a core leadership skill not just for the leader of a team but for everybody in the skill is an ability to constantly learn and unlearn and relearn mm-hmm. In an almost unprecedented way, it's um, every day you have to respond to the breakdowns that you face in your life. And um, when I use the term breakdown when I work with team, I mean an interruption in flow, whether it is a good one or a bad one. I think the really successful teams and leaders are the people who are able to rapidly respond to breakdowns Mm -hmm. because they've learned how to be learners Mm -hmm. so they can constantly unlearn or relearn. And so a lot of the work that I do with leaders to enable their teams is this ability to to do that mm-hmm. um, to support the people in the team to spot the breakdowns to notice that it is one, mm-hmm. and to find ways different ways, useful ways um, ways that lead to uh, the fulfilling of their goals or their strategy to respond to the breakdown mm-hmm. um, and then I suppose not to be phased by it to such an extent emotionally that you get stuck. And that really speaks to what was formerly called, and some people still call it the soft skills, mm-hmm. which I would argue in the time we live in are probably what we should now call hard skills, right? There are no skills more important than what is patronizingly called soft skills, mm-hmm. Um So I spend a lot of time with leaders to figure out ways to develop the type of characteristics, behaviors that they think will enable their team to deal with these breakdowns, because the breakdowns seems to be a universal feature of all teams. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like grit, resilience, um, perseverance, getting back up, trying again, iterating, um, and we work both on a emotional resilient way and on a method way. So um, I'm very interested in working with things like design thinking, mm-hmm. um, user experience type methods, mm-hmm. uh, because it teaches people to test, to empathise, to try again, mm-hmm. to iterate. Um, So I think those are fascinating methodologies that entrench a certain useful behavior Mm -hmm. um, and and almost teaches you a behavioral pattern without saying that you're working on that soft skill. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So this user experience, co-creating, trial and error, prototyping, iterative... All nice and and good if you come from an engineering or a software development world or a technology world. How do you make this relevant in a more public sector, in the political field, like Rhino, mm. you for instance? That people actually buy into it and see a benefit? Um, not the benefit for the client, realize I am working for a client, first of all, and secondly, also the benefit for you as an organization and in your team.
2: These were discussions that we had today in the seminar, actually, mm-hmm. because uh, uh, coming from what Marike just said, we need to maybe add one more characteristic of a good leader besides grit, perseverance you need humility you need to be able to understand that if you want to be in the front all the time you're not going to build a team Mm -hmm. that runs on its own and you're not going to see actually what your customers really want because the problem for us who work in the area of ideology political messages uh, trying to convince people of certain content but not just selling a product. Um, we have a extra challenge that um, it's harder for us to define what's the benefit for our customer, for our audiences. And so many would resort back and think, Well, it's just a better policy solution. So um, I'm going to repeat my message often enough and I hope that people will buy it at the end of the day.
0: I'm selling you as the expert.
2: Uh, Yeah, exactly. So you are selling the features of all of this, but you're not really getting to the benefits. Mm -hmm. And uh, so indeed, what you already mentioned, user experience, you need to make sure that you actually have that humility to understand that your language isn't the language that your audience speaks Mm -hmm. unless you really just want to talk within your echo chamber. You need to find people who actually speak the language of your audience and then find out what they want. That requires a certain element of humility. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to listen. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to hold back, not talk, but listen and organize this. As a manager, you have to organize that. You find the resources for that.
0: So how do you make the people up to speed with that? Your, Your team, for instance, what are measures that you took for people to
2: within the team we have um, we have monthly trainings we need to uh, learn how to do this we need to learn how to write we need to learn how to listen we have focus group discussions with various people Mm -hmm. we we would analyze news together we do media monitoring every day so we need to analyze what's what's the discussion at the moment and when we for example in a think tank When we design our research, Mm -hmm. one of the first steps is what we call a defense, Mm -hmm. an internal defense. So somebody would have to argue why they would address a certain research topic in the way they do. And the jury, it's not really a jury, but the colleagues who would participate in this and would give feedback are also those from communications who would then say, the way you argue this, I will not be able to sell to the press. The press won't be interested in this kind of argument.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Can you do it in a different way so that people will actually find this interesting?
0: So you have it tested by your own internal people. That's right. When do you engage directly with your clients who will be the recipients of the policy? Do you go out and have this journalistic like observation exercises that you do or get the people in? What would you say if this was the policy? The people, I mean... The people who are the recipients in the
2: end. Well, with the media, we really cultivate the relationship. Mm -hmm. But our more important audience, obviously, is the regulators, is the policymakers, is the parliamentarians. And that is, of course, tough. This is difficult. These people are very busy. It's very hard to find the time. (coughs) But you would uh, try. You would just go. You'd meet their staffer. You would prepare this. You would have conversations with them. You need to seek their uh, attention, and and bring up the argument. And sometimes you get the answer that they say, no, that's not a topic I'm interested in. I'm not dealing with this. Or they would say, um, no, we're not looking at it from this perspective, but from a different. If I can, i get just give you an example. Yes, please. So one of the topics that we're working on is alcohol prohibition. So we're trying to fight the alcohol prohibition efforts that are brought forward by certain Islamist parties in in Indonesia. So we are arguing against this, and um, we have our angle on public health, we would argue that this pushes people to drink uh, unrecorded alcohol, which can be very dangerous. We discussed this with members of parliament, and they were saying we can't do this, we can't fight it on this uh, notion. Rather, what we do is that the government should not focus on fighting proper and recorded alcohol – the fight of the, of the government should be against the unrecorded alcohol. That's, as a parliamentarian, I can fight. Mm-hmm. So we changed our strategy because we need the parliamentarians to be on our side. So we actually took their argument and, or rather took their strategy and added the arguments so that we are the one giving them ammunition when they are fighting this in parliament. So we're trying to see what works politically. And here you need to listen to the parliamentarians if you can. Thank
0: you. Armin, you were mentioning before that, um, yes, there is a lot of innovation going on in Singapore, in different places um, in Asia. However, it always somehow comes together in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong is particularly known, obviously, uh, thanks to its uh, banking and insurance industry that it has for fintech innovation and there i guess the two technologies that we're looking at is blockchain and um, artificial um, reality uh, sorry artificial intelligence and augmented reality Mm -hmm. Um, how do these technologies influence your work or how are they if at all important to your work and what do you make of it
1: i think um, we look at it from a very liberal perspective um, and I think liberals have um, um, a perspective on progress and technology which is there are great opportunities and risks and we want to find the good way in between of them so looking at blockchain for example mm-hmm. where you're right like that's a big topic in, in, in Hong Kong and,
0: and nobody really understands how it could at least I think very common is that people struggle to understand what does that mean for my area of expertise how is it relevant to me yeah. what can i make of it
1: exactly i think there's a problem in companies and mm-hmm. big companies and it's even worse if you look in, in the political field where in the political scene a lot of people maybe have heard the word but have no clue what it's what it can be about and the pace is very fast so l- looking at blockchain specifically china is um, probably releasing uh, their own crypto renminbi like so mm-hmm. like basically basing their like creating their own cryptocurrency and and, uh, unlike uh, Venezuela where it was more like a I think considered like a joke that didn't really work out or more like a failed attempt uh, China is very serious about it and um, this is going to happen probably within the next two years and from a policymaker perspective or from a politician perspective what that would mean is if you have your own centralized cryptocurrency is that um, Um, you know who owns what at any time, and you can freeze it or take it with a push of a button in your central bank, like instantly. You don't need any kind of order to do that. Um, It also means that you have, um, if there are countries especially, um, um, that use renminbi as a significant part um, to conduct uh, in, in the economy, like 10-20%, that a country like China could just press a button and freeze it if they're unhappy with the government's control right now. And what we, what we see in Hong Kong is very much China using every political um, tool that they have um, and also economic pressure. So that's something that is almost not discussed, but are, has potentially huge implications um, on every economy um, and uh, especially on politicians. On the other side, uh, blockchain has... Um, huge advantages. Um, the um, FTP, for example, just um, uh, released a statement today that they want to um, fight climate change with a, a carbon um, trading scheme based on a crypto um, currency mm-hmm. um, to, that can handle this uh, whole, uh, whole market segment. Um, so this is a, like, like a very positive um, tool. Or positive use of this technology and I think the same with artificial intelligence um, with face recognition being massively uh, a problem for for uh, civil rights a, uh, at the other hand um, artificial intelligence in uh, support of teaching can individualize learning can give the teacher um, a, a support that you cannot have with three teachers in one class at a very low cost and can democratize and increase participation mm. very, very much. So and we look at this, these two perspectives and um, I think it's important in, in, uh, to do that and to, uh, to then take it back to the stakeholders and discuss it.
0: Discuss it so that they would be able to develop policies or guidelines white papers and so on? Yeah,
1: and also use it, maybe develop their own tools. So Mm -hmm. make it accessible and support them in finding additional partners.
0: Okay, so even the technological tools to be able to produce them themselves.
1: That's the next step after uh, what we're looking for the next three years is actually develop prototypes with partners.
0: Okay, okay. Um, And so it's got a lot to do with trends and... Reiner, I know that you are going to tackle the topic of trends, possibly also, I'm not too sure, but possibly also how you use trends to develop scenarios for the future. Um, I'd, I'd really like to hear a bit more about yeah. how this makes part of the seminar or even in your work back in Jakarta.
2: Yeah, we have really tried to take what uh, Armin was just explaining uh, into the seminar. So we have these technologies. So what does that mean? in terms of a trend and we've tried to analyze this Uh, so in a way what we see what he described these are manifestations of a trend so this is a short-term perspective we have artificial intelligence we have these new technologies in in all areas that's a short-term phenomenon that we can see and by now it's already so widespread that is not very much looking into the future, even though these technologies will develop further. But it's a short-term manifestation of the trend. So the question is, what is the long-term force Mm -hmm. that's driving this? Of course, we have digitalization, we have technological advancement, we have these things, we have a growing purchase power of the uh, middle class that, 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 that fires this whole thing. So we need to then look at these trends and see, so what does that mean for our work? Um, in the political sphere, in the policy area, etc., And that was what we wanted to uh, sensitize the participants to so that they look at it. And we often make the mistake to just look at it and judge it. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: We like it, we don't like it. So we deal with the phenomenon, but we're not dealing with the actual trend behind it, which can be enormously useful for us in our policy areas. And that's where Mm -hmm. we need to make sure we... We, um, we, yeah, we really see the opportunities because mm-hmm. in the end, if you want to be an innovator, you're not just taking artificial intelligence and adapt it mm-hmm. and, you know, you want to actually look at the future demand mm-hmm. and find a solution for the future. And for that, you need to take the risk uh, of uh, looking into your crystal ball and finding out what's going to be needed by the audience in a few years' time. And for that, we need to analyze the trend. That's what we did with with the participants.
0: So using the trends as a door opener to create or to make a value proposition to your clients. Exactly. And not just copy-paste any kind of technology, but really go wider and deeper.
2: Estimating the future demand and providing future benefits uh, to our customers. Mm -hmm. That's
0: right. Okay. Um, Maybe to to close this round, uh, Marike, if... You know, last few things about the seminar. Um, since you were one of the or the, the key developer of this program, what are, if you had to say a few of the key takeaways that you want your participants now to be going away with? What would they be?
3: Mm-hmm. It struck me actually as I was listening to Armin and Reiner speak now, and this hasn't occurred to me until now. Um, is that I think one of the things we're trying to support people to do is to observe the world in a different Mm -hmm. way Um, or to develop the set of distinctions available to them to see things that they didn't see before. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm always struck um, in the study of languages how some things just don't exist to people because they don't have the words to describe it. Mm And I think when we reveal trends or when we help people see trends or when we have conversations about new technologies that opens up new possibility and opportunity, what we're trying to do to people is to position them to see their part of the world differently. And that's a, that's a profound shift. It, it goes beyond just in a way, the word innovation. It almost the word innovation doesn't do that justice, but that is what it means to innovate, I think. Um, and then, so so we spend time offering these frameworks um, on a very practical way, trying to sh- showcase case studies, trying to showcase innovations. Um, and it would obviously be fantastic for us if people can take some really useful, practical things from the seminar that they can go and try or run in their teams to be more innovative. Um, what we've noticed is that often what stops people being innovative is not necessarily not having access to um, trends or reading about blockchain but there's almost something in themselves standing in the way of them taking up these opportunities Um, and so one of the things we've spent some time on are discussions around these emotional spaces Mm -hmm. or moods um, that they sometimes unpack their bags in teams and in organizations uh, and they stop or they enable people to do things, to take up these distinctions, this way of observing the world. Um, so it's one thing to see the world differently and another thing to be able to be differently now that you've seen mm-hmm. that the world should be differently. Um, and I think from our perspective, it would be great if people can take both those things mm-hmm. home. Um, the being of being innovative, as Armin mm-hmm. spoke about earlier, uh, and the practical tools, frameworks, gadgets, ideas, best practice also from one another. It's this great network that we're busy creating here um, to go and try things out. Um, And then lastly, I think we're trying to create an environment in Kummersbach, and this is what makes the IAF so special, um, is a space for people to have some fun while discussing serious things. So it's not a serious seminar. We want people to laugh and try things out even when it feels a little bit uncomfortable. And I think practicing that skill enables you to do it back home and enables you to create that environment for your team. So from my own perspective, on a team and an individual level, it'd be great if people can take a bit of that courage to have fun while failing.
0: Yeah, because fun opens up also a space for being able to fail and to...
3: Absolutely,
0: Okay, um, it just came to my mind as, as a last final thing that James G. March, the great uh, organizational theorist, said about you know, you have to. You have two sets of skills. The one is exploring the world, which would resonate with what you were saying, being able to use different senses, viewing the world differently. What are the trends observing? What are the technologies? What does that mean for us? What are the future needs going to be of our society? And then being able to exploit that too at the same time to implement. So explore versus exploiting. Um, Yeah, so I would really like to thank you all for this tonight's um, late night, show. fun night <laughs> show on dialogue on innovation. Thank you. And good night, Marike. Thank you, Rhino. And thank you, Armin. Thank you, Thank Katia. you, you
1: Katja.